Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Good morning, church. Uh, today's reading is Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's colour changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation, shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Bauchazal was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your colour change. Oh, there is a man in your kingdom in whom this is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, the Chaldeans and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kinship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he good, he killed, and whom he good, he kept alive. 
whom he good, he raised up, and whom he good, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, or hear, or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, many, many, tekel, and parsing. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighted in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Father God, I just pray um, that you'll speak to us today in our sermon, Lord God, that you would um, reveal to us new things, um, Lord, that you would speak to us personally, um, Lord, that you'd um, speak to in, right into our hearts through your word, through this sermon today. Lord, and we press, bless them, the feet that bring us the good news. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could travel back in time, there are so many things I would want to say to my younger self. What about you? I would certainly want to challenge my sense of fashion and say, Howard, white socks with black shoes in the noughties, that is so not cool. Don't do that. I'd also more seriously want to say, Howard, stop worrying about so many things that are completely outside of your control. Here's the thing, though. I don't believe that I would listen to myself. I don't think that you would probably listen to your older self either. That is because of something that we call the arrogance of youth. And I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. But forgive me. First, I'm forgetting my manners. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Howard. It is my privilege to lead Westminster Chapel. We are in part five of a 12-part series based on the 6th century BC book of Daniel. It is all about victorious 
living through times of crisis. And the first point of three that I want to make to you from Daniel chapter five is the arrogance of youth. An article in the Times newspaper put it like this. Young people, especially new graduates, believe they are fully qualified to leap up the corporate ladder immediately, while their bosses see them as arrogant know-alls who lack the social communication skills to organise a coffee rotor. Ouch. Now, when I say youth biblically, I don't just mean people who are young physically. So under 13, under 18, under 35, whatever you define youth by... Um, I'm not so much talking about that. This is more a state of mind. It's a childish disposition of the heart that we can all fall into because age does not equal wisdom. We think Belshazzar is probably now in his 40s. Now, chapter four's final verse is a great conclusion of the whole of chapter four of what's happened to Nebuchadnezzar coming to salvation. And it says, those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. But there were no chapter divisions or titles in the original text. So it's a conclusion to chapter four, but it's also the introduction of what's to come in chapter five. So we have here two chapters that are very much joined together in topic, but they are separated by time, something like 25 years. It is now the year 539 B.C., Belshazzar is a pampered prince ruling in the place of his father, King Nabonidus, who's fallen out of favour. Belshazzar is also the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. The word father that you might see in your um, translation there is a very broad word, actually, in the original languages, Aramaic and Hebrew. It usually can mean grandfather, great grandfather of the line of. And we believe here, thanks to the text and other archaeological facts, that Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. This is one of the most intense chapters In Daniel, maybe the whole Bible, I make no apology for that. I am just giving you warning. It's the 12th of October, 539 BC, a very significant date in the Babylonian calendar. And so what does the crown prince do? He organises a drunken orgy, as you do, with loads of wives and concubines. Now, there was a time when I led a small group with an older woman who told the story of how when she was younger, she went and she approached the senior minister of a really big church and she offered to be his concubine. She thought that she was offering to carry his bags <laughs> and be his disciple. I mean, it's this awkward. If you don't know that, that's fair enough. If you don't know the meaning of the word concubine, I certainly didn't before I became a Christian. But here it's referring to sex slaves, Women taken captive, most likely in military raids, who are being physically abused and just used for sex. It's pretty much rapes. It's it's horrible. So there's this drunken orgy party going on inside Babylon, outside the city walls, though. What's happening? There is a massive, powerful army. The Medo-Persian army, this alliance coming together that are dominating the surrounding countries. They've taken cities captives and now Babylon is next on their agenda. That's the background 
So what would Bell, if he could, say to his younger, stupid self? More importantly, what would God, what is God saying to you right now? I think there are five things that come under this heading of beware the arrogance of youth. The first is stop playing to the crowds. Verse one of chapter five, the word thousand is repeated twice. Belshazzar cares about what the thousand think about him. He's living for the approval of others. There's some deep ache inside of himself, this huge insecurity that needs to be filled with the adoration of others. He cares a lot about what other people think about him. He's living for fickle human opinion rather than the perspective of heaven. What about you? How much of your time is spent and behaviours are shaped by what other people think about you? Or what you're thinking about other people might be thinking about you rather than living for the audience of one? How is listening to all of their voices drowning out the voice of God in your life? The second is to quit escapism and face reality. Bell is leading the people to drink themselves into distraction, to deny the dangers that are facing them from the army that is outside, to allow alcohol to convince them that the walls of their fortress are impregnable. Now, you can self-medicate in all sorts of ways to avoid reality. It can be pornography. It can be binge-watching on Netflix. It can be excessive comfort eating. It could be self-harm. What do you turn to in order to avoid reality? I believe God would say, stop doing that and seek him. And with him, you can find the courage and the safety to face reality. The third thing to note and the challenge is to listen to the older, wiser people in your life. That's what Bell didn't. And boy, did he regret that. The first of those we're introduced to in verse 10. It is Belshazzar's grandmother. She's called the queen. Better translation there, the queen mother. We know her to be uh, the wife of Nebuchadnezzar. She would have seen his extraordinary conversion and quite possibly was now a woman of faith as well. I mean, hard not to be in light of what she'd seen happen to her husband. She is too godly as well to be at this party. It says that she enters, she arrives into the banqueting hall. That means that she wasn't there already. And she enters as this extraordinary voice of reason in a room full of fear and panic. If only Belshazzar had listened to this great woman earlier in his life. Listen to her talk about how the most high God had saved her husband, how her husband had come to worship God. These extraordinary dreams that were interpreted, the great deliverance from the fiery furnace. But she was old. She was just like a husband. That was then. This is now. What does she know? She doesn't even have any idea what TikTok is. I think Bell also pushed Daniel away. Now, this older guy, and he should have known about him. He surely would have known about him and all his exploits already in the kingdom of Babylon. But he had no time for this older Jewish man talking about fables about God. 
you can bet that Belshazzar, if he could talk to his younger self, would say, please, please. He would plead with his younger self, listen to them, listen to them. Who are the older, wiser people in your life that you are ignoring? That's what it says Belshazzar did. Verse 22, he ignored the warnings. He knew all about his grandfather's conversion from beastly pride, but he ignored it all. Who are the older, wiser voices in your life that you're you're ignoring? And instead of ignoring them, pushing them away, could you seek them out? The fourth challenge here is don't think that you have longer to live than you actually have. In just a matter of hours, Belshazzar is going to be killed. He will be dead. You cannot know how much time you have left to live. Could be a lot shorter, actually, than you might think. And you might find yourself standing before your maker. That is a sobering thought. Are you ready? The fifth challenge is there is one true God and he is not to be mocked. Christianity is not a fable. It's not just some other religion along with all the others, as we've said already in this series. There is one true God. Daniel chapter 5 is even rather arrogantly called by Wikipedia a historical fiction. That it is not. It is said of critics of the book of Daniel some time back that because there was no mention of Belshazzar in archaeology or history and all, all that around it, only in the Bible was this Belshazzar called king, but there was nothing else, that the Bible must be wrong. And then in the 19th century, they found the Nabonidus cylinders, which say that the eldest son of King Nabonidus was Belshazzar. They had to eat humble pie. Even the little details are accurate in this chapter. Notice that the rewards say the third place in the kingdom is available, would be given. Why not the second? That's what Joseph, and there's a definite parallel to the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis here. Joseph gets second to Pharaoh. Why not second here? Why third? Well, that's because Belshazzar can't offer anything but the third. In the first is King Nabonidus and the second is himself, Belshazzar. So only the third spot is available. Wow, that's incredible accuracy. The Bible's just unbelievably reliable, reliable like that. This really happened. It really happened. And that means you must not ignore the warnings like Belshazzar did. This is the first point, the arrogance of youth. Beware it. The second point is fear the holy, holy, holy judge of all the earth. As Belshazzar drinks from the holy vessels that were taken captive from Jerusalem all those years ago, taken to Babylon, and he's doing it in a kind of blasphemous act of defiance against the almighty God, suddenly, suddenly God breaks in and a detached hand starts to write Words on the wall that don't make sense to anybody in that banqueting hall. There is just sheer terror in that moment. Absolute fear and and, and panic. Belshazzar becomes a little bit like the the statue in Daniel chapter 2. His grandfather's dream that gets ultimately destroyed by a stone coming, (laughs) flying at it. And from head to toe, he starts to break down. The blood runs from his head. His knees knock together. His ankles give way. 
more literally and I believe accurately, it says that the knots of his bowels were loosened. He basically blanks his pants. The crown prince, who's trying to impress all of these people, is now covered in his own piss and maybe excrement. I'm making that point so that you would see how serious pride is and what pride will ultimately do to you if you don't turn from it. Daniel's name means the Lord God is my judge. Now, judgmentalism is not what that's about, looking down on others or the evil kind of twin of racism. God hates them, but entrusting someone to judge righteously is necessary for the flourishing of human society. If there is no ultimate judge, then we are toast. There is no therefore standard by which to call people up to, and there is no one holding them accountable to that. There's no hope in the face of injustice. That's what Arthur Miller, brilliant playwright, conveys in one of his plays called After the Fall. His character puts it like this. I think now that my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench was empty. No judge in sight. And all that remained was endless argument with oneself. This pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench, which of course is another way of saying despair. Daniel chapter 5 is telling us that the bench isn't empty and on it is not some kind of Adolf Hitler tyrant, but is the good, good God. And he is holy. He is trustworthy because he is holy. Now, one of the things we try to do to teach ourselves and to learn is we use repetition. It's a common tactic of most parents to repeat things that they hope that their kids will learn to change their behaviour and even to grow up to remember when they're older so they can face adulthood well. Certainly I can still remember my parents speaking to me. It's so repeated in my mind, you know, the don't speak with your mouth full of food and things like that. The same is true when it comes to the scriptures, particularly because in Jewish culture, there was no exclamation mark. There was no grammar to show you the intensity of feeling or the importance of something. So they used repetition. The holiness of God is talked about about 700 times in the scriptures. That means that that is the way, the lens through which God wants us to see him, know him and relate to him. God is moral perfection. That's what holiness means. Yes, he is just, but his justice is a holy justice. Yes, he is love, but his love is a holy love. This word holy doesn't just mean moral perfection. It means set apartness from humanity, greater than. So his love is greater than our love. It's a holy love. His justice is better than the best of our justice. It's a holy justice. Sometimes as well, words would be repeated consecutively to give emphasis. You'd see that in Jesus's ministry. So he would say things like verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say this. 
He's actually saying amen, amen is what it means. It is true. It is true. Now, we would say amen at the end of something to say it is true. We agree with that. We give it meaning because of that. In that sense, Jesus gives it meaning right at the beginning before he said it even because it doesn't matter what other people say. It's true because he said it. Only one word in the whole 66 books of the Bible is repeated consecutively three times. It's the word holy, 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 holy. We see it in Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 4, the awesome holiness of God. And when we start to see him, it starts to change everything. Daniel knew this holy God, and that is how he was able to interpret the writing on the wall. Only Daniel, again, is able to explain. He can make sense of these 15 characters that have been written. Consonants, and he's bringing in the vowels. These are actually weights, and he's turning these weights from nouns into verbs. The minor, which is worth 60 shekels, the one shekel, and then the splitting off of that minor into two half minors. What is God saying? God is saying that he has assessed your kingdom, Belshazzar, and it's worth 60 whole shekels, one minor. But your leadership is only one shekel relative to the 60. You've come one sixtieth short. You have been weighed and found wanting and far, far too light. So this 60 shekel kingdom, this minor, is going to be paid over to the two kingdoms of the Medes and the Persians who are in an alliance together. In that moment, all of his pretensions, all of his rationalizations, all of his justifications, all of his excuses, all of his explanations, all of that utterly silence before the holy, almighty God. It reminds me of another Arthur Miller play. This time it's the death of a salesman. Some have said that this is perhaps the most terrifying scene in all of literature. The story is that there is a character called Willie Loman and he's trying to always prove himself, make something out of himself by being a successful salesman. And he's brought on this whole image of that to his family and he travels around, travelling salesman, but whilst he's travelling around, he's having affairs with women. And he justifies that. I've had a hard life. These don't really mean anything to me, all that kind of stuff. He feels like a failure. But the one thing, the one thing that matters to him perhaps most in his life is that his son idolises him. And then this is the scene. It's of his son coming to the hotel where he's at because he needs help from his dad, only to discover that his dad is having a sexual relationship with another woman. What does his dad do? His dad tries to sort of say things like, to justify it, oh, you know, I was lonely, or oh, you'll understand when you get older, son, but just tears streaming down his son Biff's face. It's just not working. It's just not justifying anything. His son cries red hot tears of just agony 
at seeing the truth about his father. He calls him a fake and he runs out. Woody Loman, the salesman, has left. He falls to his knees. Every justification gone. Bankrupt. All his rational rationalizations exposed as nothing but rational lies. <sighs> totally undone by the innocent holiness of his son. How much more so each of us before the holy, perfect God. Seeing the holiness of God is so essential because it's the holiness of God that will humble us, that we might turn from our sins, repent before it's too late. Now we've covered a, a lot of ground already and I want to stop there and allow us just to take a break to recap and we're going to do that now with a brilliant reading from the brilliant Josh Devereux, a poem written by Lord Byron. It's called Vision of Belshazzar. The king was on his throne. The satraps thronged the hall. A thousand bright lamps shone o'er that high festival. A thousand cups of gold in Judah deemed divine. Jehovah's vessels hold the godless heathen's wine. In that same hour and hall, the fingers of a hand came forth against the wall and wrote as if on sand. The fingers of a man, a solitary hand, along the letters ran and traced them like a wand. The monarch saw and shook and bade no more rejoice. All bloodless waxed his look and tremulous his voice. Let the men of law appear, the wisest of the earth, and expound the words of fear which mar our royal mirth. Choldy's seers are good, but here they have no skill, and the unknown letters stood, untold and awful still. And Babel's men of age are wise and deep in law, but now they were not sage, they saw but knew no more. A captive in the land, a stranger and a youth, he heard the king's command, he saw that writing's truth. The lamps around were bright, the prophecy in view. He read it on that night. The morrow proved it true. Belshazzar's grave is made. His kingdom passed away. He in the balance weighed is light and worthless clay. The shroud, his, his robe of state, his canopy, the stone, the mead is at his gate. The Persian on his throne. We are all more like Belshazzar than we realise. We're all guilty also of using unholy vessels in immoral ways, for immoral purposes. You are a vessel. That's what Paul, the converted uh, killer of Christians, says in his letter to Timothy chapter 2. You're a vessel designed for noble good moral use, not immoral purpose. Yet we cheapen God's creation, each of us, 
by allowing ourselves to be filled up with C-R-A-P. And that means that we are all deserving of God's judgment. You are deserving of God's judgment. And you have no hope except for Jesus. There's no hope in Buddha. There's no hope in Muhammad. There's no hope in good deeds and trying to be a good person. None of that's going to work. The only hope is Jesus. Jesus is God. He comes willingly. He lives a morally perfect life. And he chooses on the cross to allow himself to be covered and smeared with your C-R-A-P. He takes the punishment that you deserve, the judgment that you deserve. He drinks it up, the cup of wrath that you deserve, down to its last dregs, everything, all of your pride, your moral filth, he takes it all into himself on the cross so you can be clean. Why? For love, to prove to you absolutely that he loves you, to demonstrate his love for you, a love so powerful that if you surrender to it, you can never be separated from it. Getting this holy vision of God is so important because this fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Which leads us to the final point, cultivate the wisdom of years. Don't just get older, grow wiser. Seek to study the scriptures and pray to enlarge your vision and understanding of how great God is. Let his holy justice terrified you that wrongs will be righted that evil will be punished let his holy love comfort you let it tenderly draw you in as you experience his mercy his compassion his grace that's what daniel did day after day year after year in some of the most difficult of circumstances yet he was still able to do it. And what happened is vision of God started to get to almost being as big as God himself. So big, in fact, that everybody, even the most powerful kings, were just tiny, tiny to him. And it gave him courage, because his God was big and people were small, to live right for God. There's so much we can learn then from Daniel, this now 70 to 80 something year old faith veteran. I just have time now to do two quick lessons. The first of those is see the emptiness of earthly rewards. In verse 16, Daniel's offered power, prestige, position, possessions, all that stuff. But he says no to that. He refuses that. Why? Because he's got what really matters. He's got God. God's got him. That's the most important thing in his life. What about you? Are you resisting the temptations to go after all that stuff? To what the Babylonians were were seeking more and more of their kind of idolatry, their gods, the bronze, silver, gold, iron, wood, stone, all that stuff. And it's equivalent in our society. I hope you're resisting it because it's so empty. It's so short-lived. That's what the passage reveals, is that you know, in a matter of hours, these rewards are going to die with Belshazzar. So much of what our celebrity-obsessed world 
pressures you into, almost demands you to tirelessly chase after is utterly bankrupt. Instead, follow the words of Jesus. Follow Jesus. Look at his biography, Matthew, one of them, Matthew chapter six, where he says, don't store up yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust and all that kind of can be destroyed and damaged. Store up treasures in heaven by living completely for God, where nothing in this world can touch what you're storing up in heaven. That's the first thing we can learn specifically from Daniel. The second thing is the safest place in the world is submission to the sovereign God. Daniel has been forgotten. This great man, all his faithful service, on the retirement he useless, well, he's thought that by Belshazzar and the others. If you feel like that, let me tell you, God has not forgotten you. He will bring you out at just the right time in order to serve his glory. In the meantime, don't lose heart. Stay faithful. Keep being faithful in everything you're doing. Find contentment in God. Recognize you don't need to come back into the spotlight because the spotlight's already on you. The spotlight shining from the cross of God's love. You don't need all that stuff. Just get your head down and be faithful day in, day out in everything that you do. And if you do that, people will notice over time the seeds that you're sowing. They will bear fruit. There will be a harvest. That's what happens for Daniel. He's remembered Verses 11 and 12, his faithfulness, his insights, his intelligence, his wisdom is brought to light again. That's a powerful description. I wonder what would have to change in your life to be remembered like that. I'm intrigued as well in these final verses that Daniel actually changes his mind about the reward. He rejects it and now he accepts it. What's happened there? Is it a sign that Bell has come to faith, that he's surrendered and Daniel's able to change his behaviour in response to Bell's changed behaviour? Who's going to stand with him in those final moments? I don't know. We could debate that for some time. Is Bell a thief on the cross? There are those moments where people just on their deathbed, conversions, they can trust in, in Jesus. And, and you can in the Christian faith because... You don't have to earn your way to get there. It's not about what you do. So you can just get there in a moment, in a split second, by trusting in Jesus. He could be that, the thief on the cross, or he could be lost for eternity. We don't know. You see, you can't be sure ever, really, about the salvation of someone else. What you can be sure about, though, is your own salvation, which brings me to a very important question. Where do you stand? If you were to die today, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would go into the presence of Almighty God and meet with Jesus? You can know that. You really can by turning from sin and trusting in Jesus and allowing his love to transform you and embrace you. A love that's better than anything else in this world and a love that nothing in this world can separate you from. You'll be safe, safe forever in God's arms.
See, the Babylonians, they, they put their trust in their fortified walls. They thought they were safe behind these human walls. Humanism, polytheism, made-up religionism, materialism, all of the isms. They thought they were safe hiding out behind them. But Daniel knew that the only safe place is in the will of God, in the loving arms of God himself. And so when the Medes and the Persians said, then they come, they break in. And cause mayhem, Belshazzar is killed. But Daniel is not. Even though he's now third in command, you'd think they would have got get rid of all of the leaders. Daniel is not killed. It is a picture that the safest place in the world is in the will of God. It's amazing. Daniel, this 20-something, barely 20, arriving in Babylon, doesn't know the culture, doesn't know the language. Hey, he gets castrated. He's threatened with death. People, other kind of wise men, they turn against him. They're jealous of him. Oh, it's, it's horrible. But who survives? Daniel survives. Not only that, against the odds, he actually seems to thrive. Come chapter six, if you read the opening verses, this new king, King Cyrus, and the Persian empire that comes, Daniel gets a top-notch job in its administration. Wow. The point is, Trusting God will result in it going well for you. Either in this life, like it did for Daniel, but most definitely in eternity. Trusting God is wisdom. You want to get wiser? Learn to trust God. In the wisdom book of the Bible, it's called Proverbs Chapter 3, verses 5 to 6, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Are you trusting in God with all that you've got? I pray, I hope that you are because Westminster Chapel, if you are, wow! God is going to work with us to change the world for the better. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much that you are the holy, holy, holy God. I pray enlarge our vision of you, your holiness, that we might grow in humility and grow in confidence to serve you, knowing that nothing can stand in your way, can stop you. God, take out of us the arrogance of youth. Fill us with a right reverential holy fear of you that would make us wise to live right in this world for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.